I have a lot of patients and family and friends coming to me asking, is it safe? And how are you sure it's safe? Or I have a high risk pregnancy. I don't need to add anything else high risk. My answer is always COVID is high risk in pregnancy, the most high risk. And it's important to me if I'm giving recommendations for patients to give the vaccine, which I very strongly believe in, I will do it for myself as well. Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, and we have a great podcast for you today. We're talking about COVID-19 vaccines and pregnancy. And we have very three very special guests. We have Dr. Burton Rolchelson. He's the Chief of Maternal Fetal Medicine at Northwell Health. Dr. Sarah Packman, she's an attending in maternal fetal medicine at Northwell Health. And we have Elizabeth Boyce, she's an assistant nurse manager at Peconic Bay Medical Center, formerly an ICU nurse at LIJ who worked on the front lines to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. When we started putting this show together, uh, we invited on Elizabeth to talk about being pregnant during COVID and getting the vaccines. And Dr. Packman, you announced on your Instagram channel that you are now pregnant. So congratulations on that. And when you made this announcement, you also were getting your booster shot. Yes, thank you so much. It was very exciting. Um, I chose to do my announcement the way that I did, even though it wasn't my dream announcement that I wanted since I was a kid, because um, I think the COVID booster and COVID vaccination in pregnancy is so important. And I wanted to share that um, with my followers and with everyone here. Yeah. You know, um, when we talk about pregnancy, Dr. Rolchenson, uh, only 33.8% of expecting, expecting mothers between the ages of 18 and 49 in America are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. And according to the most recent data from the CDC, that's around half the vaccination rate among all Americans over 12 years old. What are some of the reasons you're hearing from your patients about why they're not getting the vaccine? So I, I think the most important thing to realize is that the reasons why patients aren't getting the vaccine are really individual, or they may be based on the community or on the patient's own history. And I think one of the things that we've discovered, and Sarah and I have done a lot of work on this, is that you really have to ask the patient herself why she's not getting the vaccine. And there's a variety of reasons. Sometimes and it's it's I get it. I mean, I understand that people are reluctant to do anything during uh, pregnancy. Some of them have been told by family members. Uh, social media has a huge effect. In fact, there have been studies that look at the incidence of vaccination uh, related to the number of social media uh, misinformation posts that have uh, appeared. And it's directly opposite. The more uh, recent misinformation posts there are, uh, the lower the rates of vaccination. So it's sort of a, a constant competition between the science and talking to our patients and to each other and social media. But I, I would say the most important thing that we can do or anybody could do about vaccination is to listen. And, and so I think the best answer to that question is everybody has their own reasons. And I think the important thing to do is to find out what that patient's reason is and then uh, talk to her about it. Dr. Rolchelson, you said recently on Dr. Pachman's Instagram Live that expectant moms often have a fear of the unknown, but really they should have a fear of the known. Tell us what you meant by that. Right. Uh, 
I agree with me. <laughs> uh, As do I. Because I, I think it's it's really human nature to have a fear of the unknown. Of course we do. But but that shouldn't be in the absence of, of the knowledge of, of things that we really should be afraid of. And I think one of the things that Sarah and I unfortunately have experienced is being on the labor floor and in the ICUs with pregnant women who were really terribly sick and their babies didn't do well and the moms didn't do well. And so when we, when we come to this table to talk to you, we're coming to tell the story, really. And, and we've seen it. And, and I think most of all, we're telling the story of what we've seen. Yeah. Elizabeth, you were pregnant during um, COVID. You had gave birth to a, a beautiful girl, uh, Magnolia. She's nine months old now. She, you were vaccinated. Um, tell us about that and your experience. Sure. So I found out I was pregnant in April, right in the middle of kind of that first surge. Um, I was working at LIJ Medical Center and um, I was doing mobile critical care. So we were responding to um, some of the sickest patients. And then we were also staffing the ICUs when they were short and uh, working with the intubated patients that were not doing well. Um, at that point, I had already seen um, a few moms that were pregnant that did not do well. Um, some had passed. Uh, we had seen some moms that were pregnant and suffering with COVID and respiratory issues um, on high flow in the ICU. And we saw some moms postpartum that were very sick and they were not even able to see their baby. So it was a little alarming finding out I was pregnant. Um, but you know, the day, the work day kept you really busy. So it was something you really didn't think about till you were home away from work. Um, and so we worked through that. And then I moved away from LIJ kind of towards the end of the first wave. I went out to Peconic to become the assistant nurse manager of the ICU there. Um, second wave started right around as I was in my third trimester. And right before I actually went out on maternity leave, the vaccines came out. And um, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be allowed to get it. I didn't know if they, if they were approving it or recommending it at that point for pregnant patients. I was definitely hesitant. You know, you're listening to things on social media and, you know, just people's perception of things that it was rushed and so on and so forth. And um, there was an infectious disease doctor that came through that we were picking his mind about it. And he really kind of gave us a whole talk about it and the science behind it. And it got me really thinking. And I started doing my own research. Um, I had already had a call out to my OB. And his first reaction when he got on the phone was, if you have the chance to get it, you should get it. And that's all I needed. Um, he was the most trusted person to me at that point in my life. He was about to deliver my baby. And um, I took his advice and I reached out and I got it two days later. And going into it, I really was not nervous, it actually really gave me a lot of hope. And that actually is my daughter's middle name. It's Magnolia Hope. Um, just to really kind of signify that for me, there was finally something that may help because we were stuck in this time. No matter what you did in the ICU, everyone was so burnt out because we did the same thing and tried so hard to save so many people and we couldn't. And this was finally something that there was some hope that it might not be like this forever. Um, so that was a big turning point for me and was why I got so behind this and really just tried to spread that education and awareness to as many people as I could. That's awesome. And Dr. Pacman, when you got your, um, you did your booster shot, you held up a picture of the sonogram. 
Tell us why it's so important for you to, to give that message as well, to let people know that, hey, this is the, the better move. This is the smart move. This is safe. This is what's going to basically maybe save you and your child. I have a lot of patients and family and friends coming to me asking, is it safe? And how are you sure it's safe? And we don't have long-term data and all of the things. Or I have a high-risk pregnancy. I don't need to add anything else high-risk. My answer is always COVID is high risk in pregnancy, the most high risk. And it's important to me to do what I preach. And um, if I'm giving recommendations for patients to give the vaccine, which I very strongly believe in, I will do it for myself as well. And to be able to show that I'm protecting myself and my baby and my fetus, my family. And I recommend and hope that my patients would do the same. Can I just say, first of all, Elizabeth, the the story and the way you told it is just amazing, and it's it's really important uh, for you to to speak to that. Uh, I think one of the things you said was that when your obstetrician spoke to you, uh, that had a lot of meaning, and I I think the concept of having a trusted messenger is really important, and whether that's a clergy or family or your doctor, I think that that uh, covers a lot more ground than than hearing things on the television or social media, because I think everybody has a different trusted messenger. Yeah. And I think what you said before about the known and the unknown, I mean, what we know is is pretty bad. So I, I want to, I'm glad you brought that up because I think people make the wrong comparison. And Sarah and I have spoken about this a lot. People are asking the question, and I get it, I really understand it, of should I should I get the vaccine or not in pregnancy? What are the risks of the vaccine? And and the real question is, what are the risks of the vaccine versus the risk of getting an infection? And if you put those side by side, nobody would make a decision not to get the vaccine because by now there is a ton of data, a ton of data. Uh, it's over 160,000 patients, Sarah, yes, now, something yes. like that. 160,000 that we have known of outcomes in pregnancy. And and there's no increased risk of spontaneous miscarriage or spontaneous abortion, preterm birth, preeclampsia, um, adverse pregnancy outcomes in general, infertility. The data is quite clear. And the data in, of COVID in pregnancy is overwhelming and quite clear that pregnancy is a risk factor for severe and critical COVID. And these patients have an enormously increased risk of needing ICU care, needing to be put on a ventilator, and of death. The other thing is that COVID doesn't affect only the patient. COVID affects the entire family. And one of the really important things is that when, and I understand a, a mom being concerned about effects on the fetus, but I think we also have to think about the effects on the other children that they might have at home because the children are not protected. Hopefully in the next few weeks, five to 12 year old kids will be able to get vaccinated, but under five won't be able to get vaccinated and they can also spread the infection. So I, I think when we're talking about getting the vaccine, we have to look at it in the context of the family unit and in community and in society. Dr. Ralchelson and Dr. Bachman, you guys have obviously have a great relationship. You've run uh, other podcasts together before. Tell us a little bit about your relationship, how you know each other and how you work together. Dr. Ralchelson was my fellowship director. He was my mentor when I was a resident. Um, I've worked with him for so many years. He taught me 
so much and what of what I know and how I practice today is really a mimic of how he practices. And um, so he's really my mentor. I'm so lucky to have had that opportunity. Well, I mean, I was lucky too. I mean, Sarah was, you know, one of the very best fellows and she was a resident with us too. And I, I think there's no other, you know, maybe they don't like it, but I call the fellow, you know, the kids, my kids, because I feel about them the way I feel about uh, my own kids, because nothing is more satisfying than seeing your kids grow up and, and just be great doctors and, and MFM docs. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been probably 10 years that we're working uh, together. So Dr. Rolstrosen, what was it like for you to be on, on Dr. Pachman's Instagram live and to help advocate uh, with her, with her mission? Well, there was, first of all, I'm, I'm so proud of her. So any, anything I could do to participate in this, and, and, and we are like enormous advocates for patients to get vaccinated, but it also gave me an opportunity practically to be cool. And, you know, who, who would say no to that? See, Dr. Richardson's already very cool. <laughs> He's so hip. So it was, it, he was a natural. It oh, was so easy. And getting him on was awesome because it relate, it helps my patients understand and my peop, and my Instagram followers understand. And it's not just my voice, it's um, everybody's and it brings a nice, well-rounded touch. Yeah, that's awesome. So you and and Dr. Pakman have kind of become advocates for the the vaccine. What is uh, what's a helpful way to, to, for you for both of you to frame these types of uh, discussions when you talk to people? What's the best way, like, for you to be able to, like, you know, let people know that this is the right thing? I always start by asking why, if they have any concerns, what are their concerns, and then just understanding them and relating to them. There is so much information out there, and it's not always people's faults when they're fed um, misinformation or inaccurate information. And just being able to correct that and be there and be an example, and I think understanding their fears and where they're coming from is the most important part to kind of break through that and um, crush COVID. Yeah. There's another group of people who are kind of, you know, hesitant about getting uh, vaccinated. And those are the people who are wanting to get pregnant. Um, what does the research, Dr. Rolschelson, tell us about uh, the vaccine and people who are trying? So it's it's a very timely question, although I get asked it almost every day, <laughs> because just today there was an article uh, out of the annual meeting of the American Society of Reproductive Medicine is as we're speaking. And there was just an article where they reviewed uh, IVF pregnancies and, and transfers, and it was just as successful in women who have gotten the vaccine or not gotten the vaccine. And all of the professional societies that would be related to this, the ASRM, which is the Infertility Society, Maternal Freedom Medicine, which is the High Risk Society, and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists all support vaccination at any uh, step of the way while attempting a pregnancy or going through infertility uh, procedures. And uh, I'll go back to what I said uh, before, which is that you have to compare it not the risk of the vaccine, which hasn't been shown to be uh, present at all, versus the risk of the infection. So if you're trying to get pregnant and in the middle of that you get a COVID infection, that's the worst thing that could happen. The other point I'd make is that there's a few articles to suggest that male uh, fertility may at least transiently be impacted by a COVID infection. So you're, when you get vaccinated while you're going, while a woman gets vaccinated while she's going through an infertility process, she's also uh, protecting her, her family when she gets home. But of course, and one of the things, and you've seen this too, and it's an interesting um, experience, is that many times 
I'll, I'll be with a patient and all of our patients are high risk for one reason or another. And I'll say, why aren't you getting the vaccine? She says, well, I'm concerned about getting it while I'm pregnant. And I say, did your husband get the vaccine? And frequently they'll say no. So that's telling me that there's a lot more to it than just that she's uh, pregnant. But, but in summary, there's absolutely zero reason to even think that vaccination has any impact on fertility at all. What is the best way to find the right information? Because like you said, there is so much misinformation. There's so much out there. So I think one of the ways to do that is to go on the society websites. You know, the American College of Obstetrician is interested in healthy women, healthy babies. And they have a lot of data on their website, as does SMFM, Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, which is directly uh, related to patients. But also, I think, uh, ask your doctor, and hopefully your doctor can help guide you through the literature. Of course, there's an awful lot. I mean, there's been probably tens of thousands of, of studies now on COVID and pregnancy. But they all say one thing. I mean, they all say that the vaccine is not related to bad outcome, and the virus, getting the viral infection, is related to bad outcome. So it's the most consistent literature I've ever seen. When you talk about all the studies and all the data, at Northwell, there's been hundreds of studies how does that play in? Well, so I think for one thing, it gives us the knowledge and it gives us, it's not something we've read, it's something we've lived and we've studied and we've crunched the data uh, and that we talk about it at our conferences. So it also helps when we're talking to our patients to say, look, we've looked at this in our own sites and we've looked at the incidence of, of intensive care admission and of death across uh, the system. We Telehealth, we started to use during COVID, and that's been a very interesting experience. And we've also looked at great detail to the social determinants of health in terms of uh, which patients are more likely to get sick with COVID and which communities and which zip code and which race and ethnicity, and which patients also are likely or not likely to get the vaccine, which relates to the question you asked me before, which is why uh, patients don't get the vaccine. And in some communities, there are reasons that have nothing to do with vaccine hesitancy. So, for example, there have been studies from the Kaiser Family Foundation, which looked at Hispanic communities, and, and a lot of their hesitancy, such as it is not about getting the vaccine, they want to get the vaccine, but they don't want to get deported. They don't want to present um, photo governmental ID. They can't take a day off from work. They don't have transportation. They don't know that uh, it's, when I say they, I mean a proportion of that population doesn't know that they can get it for free. And and sadly, a lot of the communication that we do uh, is in English, and it's not in, in their primary language. So we're, we're not hitting all of the communities that we need to, to reach. And I'm just using the Spanish-speaking community as an example. But Queens County, for example, which is two blocks away, has there are more languages spoken in Queens County than any other county in the country. And we should be giving this information in, in every single language. And to Northwell's credit, they do have a, a population community health office, which is trying to roll out all of the information in different uh, languages. But I think there's still a lot of work to do. But I am, and I'm curious, I don't know if I can ask Elizabeth this question or not, but because there's so much of a community sense to vaccination and you're a nurse, you know, in, in, can you speak to the culture of nurses in, in whatever places you've been in vaccination? So from, from my experience, and I really only been working in the ICU. So, um, where I am right now at Peconic, um, 
we did not have really any issues with vaccination. And, you know, they know, we know that we rolled out the mandate that everyone needs to be vaccinated for Northwell. Um, we did not have any issues. We had our nurses got vaccinated. You know, I think there was, there was some people hesitant that, you know, they had their reasons. Um, but I think there was a lot of education put out there. Um, right. and as leaders, you know, checking in with people and, showing them, you know, whatever questions you have, let's talk about it. Let's get you to someone that can give you that answer. If it's something I can't answer, where to look for that information. Um, I know I've seen both sides, even in the healthcare industry. Um, but I will say majority of the RNs that I know and have worked with or associate with are very pro vaccine. Um, especially if you've seen it, especially well, if you walked exactly. into an ICU and you've right. seen it, that I always tell people, and we have family friends, we have, you know, friends that are just, they're not going to get it. They think it's, you know, a, a government conspiracy that um, they don't want to be pushed to do anything. And I respect people's rights, but I also just know that they are very blessed that they have never had a family member right. dying the ICU of COVID-19 because if they did and it was not an expected thing, they weren't 99 years old with a million medical problems, they were 50 and they were fine and now they're dying. Um, they're very blessed right. that they've never had to encounter that. So um, that's where I come at it when I talk to anybody that is very adamant against the vaccine. You have to just give them a little bit of grace of, I can right. talk this out with you, but you've never seen it. So you may not right. fully forget my point of view, um, but I will try and just lead you to the correct education and the right research to look at. I, th I think Elizabeth is a perfect example of a trusted messenger. And, and the reason I ask about it is because nursing and physicians and labor and delivery, those are communities the same way a Hispanic community or a black community. And I think to have a trusted messenger of your own community is the best way. Yeah, I think some of the stuff that you have seen on the front line is just it's like equivalent to, you know, what it's like to be in war. Well, I mean, that's a whole other podcast, but I think there's also P there's PTSD, I think, that probably the three of us experience on some level having gone through this for almost two years. Yeah. Is that fair to say, Elizabeth? Absolutely. I, you know, my husband is a, as a combat vet and, you know, we've talked some things over. I, I work actually, I do, um, I do equine assisted psychotherapy, meaning we use horses to do psychotherapy Fine um, huh. for it. And we have seen, we brought in, we, we had it free to all healthcare workers to come do sessions, do wellness, do psychotherapy, whatever you need, um, throughout the pandemic. And, we see it a lot. You know, we see people are having a tough time. As a manager, I have staff come to me and tell me what they're struggling with. It's real. And it's something that um, it's going to take time to heal. And people are still burnt out. Even if the numbers are down, you get one more COVID admission and you see people start to get stressed because they don't ever want to have to go through what they, they did again. There's triggers. Dr. Pakman, how do you persuade somebody, because it is such a charged topic, how do you persuade someone that this is the right thing? So I, I don't like to use the word persuade because I'm not persuading them, I'm empowering them. And I just like to give them the information and explain to them from my perspective and from the perspective of the data and the science and the literature, why it's not harmful and only helpful to them and their family and to our community. That's awesome. When uh, when uh, is the COVID vaccine now being incorporated into prenatal care, and and should be vac vaccines be incorporated into prenatal care? 
So, yes, it absolutely should. I think um, offering the COVID-19 vaccine is our current standard of care. It's recommended by all governing societies. I work in mostly the hospital, and we offer it in our hospitals, and I offer it to every patient. Um, For since the beginning of when we had vaccines, flu vaccines and Tdap vaccines and other things are very important parts of prenatal care. And this vaccine's no different. I'm glad you brought that up because people have used vaccines in pregnancy for decades. And I don't know about you, Sarah, but I never heard pushback about the vaccines for the flu vaccine or Tdap. And it was really COVID was unique in that area. We also offer the vaccine to women on discharge uh, because it's just to make it easier to get the vaccine. I mean, when we talk about vaccine hesitancy, part of it is the patient's hesitancy, and part of it is that society hasn't always made it easy for women to get the vaccine for the reasons I I, uh, mentioned before. So I, I, I think that society also has to take some of the responsibility for not as many people getting vaccinated. And maternal health matters. You can't have a healthy pregnancy or a healthy fetus or a healthy baby if you don't have a healthy mother. That's why it's maternal fetal medicine. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're almost out of time here on 20 Minute Health Talk. And we always like to end on a positive note. So, Elizabeth, I'll ask you first, what gives you hope? What gives you optimism going forward? Just that more people are getting vaccinated. Um, we're seeing it it the numbers decline and um, it's nothing like it was. And that is just a huge win in my success so far. And we just want to continue that um, trend. Awesome. Dr. Pachman, what gives you hope and optimism? Every time that I'm able to empower a patient to make the best decision for her and her family to be vaccinated, I become more hopeful that the end of this pandemic is becomes more near and real. Awesome. Dr. Olsen. I think the most amazing thing that I've seen over the years is during this period of time, how my colleagues work, the nurses, the doctors, through really unbelievably stressful times. And we just put our heads down and we worked together. And there were moments that were just beyond belief. And we got through it together. It's like when I watched that Northwell Choir on the TV show that was competing, I, I was in, in tears, not because of their singing. I mean, they're good singers. But I knew I knew what they were going through, and they were sort of singing for us. And, and I actually said this to a group of nurses I was speaking to the other day, and I guess I would close on this, is that the choir represented us, but it also defines us, that the way that we work in the hospital with the doctors and the nurses and the housekeepers and the technicians and everybody— we're like a choir, right? We're singing, some of us are singing harmony and, you know, soprano and alto and bass and whatever, but we're singing together. And that was really beautiful. I mean, so that would be a positive thing that I take out of it. Awesome. Well, Dr. Rolchelson, Dr. Pachman, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us on 20 Minute Health Talk. And thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Rob Hoyle. Have a great day. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.